0: Good day, good folks. You are listening to talk that keeps you woke, and with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I may go one half of Pot Liquor. I go by Doctor A, the Inquisitive One, a great debater, Mister Slow a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Kim Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. All right, good folks. What's going on out there? Uh, how are you doing today, partner?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Dr.
0: A? Um, I'm good. I can't complain, as always. Uh, good week, and hope, hoping this week is a productive week, too.
1: Indeed. Indeed.
0: Okay. So, for those listening or watching for the first time, we welcome you to Liquor Podcast. Please email us at potlickershow at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about the show. Uh, We are, we have seen an uptick in viewers and subscribers, so we do thank you for that. But now we would like you to comment. Also, if you want to check out our show, either further or or check out more detailed information about our show, we would like you to go to our website, and that is potlickerpodcast.podbean.com. Uh, for those of you watching it on YouTube or seeing the visual, you can see the um, the URL in the window. Um, but as always, uh, before we start our show, we always uh, give you a wow, which is uh, our words of wisdom. Uh, and this week it comes from Sister Angela Davis. Uh, KPJ, would you like to read that?
1: Sister Angela tells us that, um, I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change, I am changing the things I cannot accept. And that is apropos coming from a woman who was a member of the Black Panther Party and also just a freedom fighter for whom I have great respect. And she's just reminding us here that we always have the power to change things that are unacceptable in society and in our lives. What do you think?
0: I, I like the statement that she's saying, um, because I think sometimes we uh, try to focus on things that we don't have the power to change, So we shouldn't just, we should just not accept those things anymore. Um, and I'm changing the things I cannot accept. Well, that's a true revolution, uh, and that's what she is to me. Um, she has to test the test of time. And she's a brilliant mind. So that is Sister David. And let us let move on. Uh, so before we inform you about what's going on, let's jump into our first plug. Uh, and our first plug is coming also from my partner, KPJ and hers is
1: Starbucks so I would just like to share um something that I really like um Starbucks this is my Starbucks my uh family size container um I drink this coffee every day um, and I and I brew it myself at home. So these are these are um, coffee beans. So I actually have to grind these up, and I do this every morning and have my own cup of coffee at home. Because going into Starbucks, I mean, the coffee is like you could pay two, three, four, up to five dollars for a cup of coffee, and that's just. I mean, if you know anything about me, I, I like to be frugal, so. This is right up my alley, and I usually get the dark roast um, because I just like a stronger flavor. And this, you know, I like my coffee like I like my men. Strong, black, and hot. How about you? Do you like coffee?
0: Uh, I'm not a big coffee drinker. If I do get coffee, it's uh, for the caffeine to keep me up, like, while I'm driving. So I'll stop, stop at, like, a... Uh, a gas station, uh, one of the stores and go in and get the bottle or get the double shot with the extra energy. And, uh, that help that helps me on my ride home. So yeah, yeah, that's the only time that I, um, uh, have, um, coffee. That's the only time I have, uh, Starbucks. Okay. Okay.
1: And let us move on.
0: Okay, so
1: welcome aboard Disco Airlines Flight 78. Our captain tells us what's going on. What's going on? What's going
0: on? Hey, we're going to get into what's what's going going on, on? um, see what's happening out there with the people. Um, our first story today uh, looks like the uh, (coughs) the Republicans are at it again with the ouster of Ilhan Omar. Uh, if I'm pronouncing her name right, from the foreign, uh, they ousted her from the uh, foreign committee. The Democrats are saying this is an act of revenge. What say you, partner?
1: I agree wholeheartedly. It just seems like they've had it out for her from the beginning. Um, You know, she's a member of what they call the squad, a group of um, women of color, uh, congresswoman um, of color. And they kind of just had it out for, um, for them from the very beginning. And I think this was just the, the perfect excuse for um, the majority speaker, um, Kevin McCarthy, to um, just just get rid of her and just try to get some revenge and, and and kick her off of this Foreign Affairs Committee. And I believe it was for something that she said um, that was offensive to Jewish people? She said, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. (laughs) When she was talking about, yeah, talking about donations to a a Jewish organization. Um,
0: I think maybe that that is one of her comments, but she said Mm -hmm. that um, something about Israel um, Mm to a couple of years back in 2019.
1: And I think it's just pretextual. I think they um, they would have found a, a, a reason to do this, whether she had said that or not, you know what I mean? So um, it just so happens that she gave them the ammunition to use um, in this particular case. But I think they would have figured out a way to do it anyway. Um, but I mean, I can remember back when uh, Donald Trump famously said about them that they should just go back to their countries remember that yeah right and um it turns out that she was she's like this she was like the only one who was actually not born in america so the other ones are you know american citizens you know were born in america but she she's um somalian um, but at any rate and she also believes that this she was just targeted because um, she's the first black um, woman, and also the first you know black female Muslim that has been elected to Congress, and so she she believes that she was targeted as well. So, yeah, she, they're just giving her giving her a hard time. But I mean, she made it very clear on the floor of Congress that she's not going anywhere. So I just really admire that. Um, tenacious spirit of hers, and she's just determined to um, not have her voice be silenced by anyone, including Kevin McCarthy. So that was good to hear. And I mean, I think it's important to have a Black woman perspective um, in Congress. So I'm sure that's not going to keep her from having her voice, raising her voice. Yeah,
0: do? she is a, a woman uh, of color and she's a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, her being on a foreign affairs committee is a good thing. Um, uh, Hakeem Jeffries, um, another congressman oh. from New York, um, the one that's always quoting Biggie Smalls in his speech, <laughs> he said that this is nothing but uh, revenge. Yeah. Uh, um, that's why they ousted her because they ousted uh, what's what's her name Green. Uh, Mar- oh yeah,
1: Marjorie Taylor Green. Green.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, for having the violent sentiments that she put out, and so the Democrats, uh, you know, Democrats voted for voted her ouster. So this is kind of like the payback,
1: right? Just political yeah.
0: theater. Yeah, yeah. This has nothing to do really with or anti-Semitic remarks. Um, She did apologize for those. Uh, Some people uh, in her own party were upset that she said those things, but she uh, profusely apologized. And um, yeah, Yeah. I think (sighs) this is politics as usual. I know,
1: uh, and it's so frustrating though, because you feel like they spend so much time with the theatrics and playing these political games and trying to maintain power, it feels like it's just distracting from them passing legislation that's going to actually help the average American citizen. You know what I mean? It's like do your jobs, stop all this bickering and you know backbiting, and it's just and all this political theater. Get to work and do something that's going to actually help the American people.
0: Yeah. Um... Like I said, she's a strong enough woman to overcome this. Um, I think they're trying to put on a budget committee right now. Uh, So we'll see what's happening. Let us move on. Okay. From what appears to be a revenge outing to Netflix cracking down on sharing passwords. The giant company has had enough of sharing passwords. So this is interesting and it impacts a lot of people.
1: Tell me about it. I would I would bet that probably most of the people under the sound of our voices either has a Netflix password that they're sharing with their friends, or they're actually the friend that's received the the password and they, you know what I mean, using it. So yeah, this is definitely gonna affect a lot of us.
0: So, what do you think about Netflix doing this? Um, do you see their side?
1: I mean, I definitely see their side. I mean, you know, the goal of a, a corporation is always to maximize profits and to, you know, please the shareholders. So, they, you know, revealed that uh, this is about a hundred million, a uh, hundred million subscribers that they could have. That are people sh- you know using these passwords without paying for a membership. So that's a lot of lost revenue that they could have. So I do understand their their side of it. They definitely want to try to reclaim those those dollars and um and thereby increase their their uh, the price of their stock so that their shareholders can get the uh, return on their investment that they're expecting to receive. So from that point of view, yes, it it makes it makes sense. But it could backfire because, you know, people could just be like, well, just forget it. You know, I don't I don't even want to um, to keep my Netflix membership, you know, because there are other of streaming platforms out there that are competing with Netflix, but I will say that Netflix is the originator. So <laughs> it just remains to be seen, but I mean, can you first of all, can you explain exactly how they plan to try to crack down on this sharing of passwords? Like how are how are they going to stop people from doing that?
0: Um well, they're saying that they're going to set up like sub-accounts. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not password sharing. So if you choose to have other people um, utilize uh, your Netflix, is going to be sub-accounts. And I think it's going to be an additional $4.43. Okay. Um, that's, that's what I read on, on their site, you know. But
1: they're saying, for example... If I have a membership account
0: and you give it to me
1: and I give it to you and you're outside of my household, they're going to, in order for you to log on, you have to get a password or get a, get a, like a four, a four digit identifier. What do they call it? Verification
0: code. There's to be a verification code. And I guess they're going to make sure that you're only using it on certain televisions. The confusion came in is the IP address, like, is it only under your roof? Because if it's only under your roof, then why do you need to share the password? You, you know, they they said the intent was for folks to watch it in the house. So they mm. weren't expecting for every member in the house to have an account. So there's different accounts that you can have. But now I think they're going to add on to it. So if you wanted to give it to your sister.
1: Um. Who's so, buy
0: it? Yeah.
1: so if my sister lives in a different household
0: yeah i think she tries
1: to, she tries to log Cost on, an extra four
0: dollars and 43 cents for her on that television
1: right but i'm talking about before that i'm talking about the crackdown like how they're going to stop people from sharing it the way it's going to happen is if she tries to log on with my password it's going to ask her for a four-digit verification code. Right. But that code is linked to my account, so the, the code is going to be sent to my device.
0: Only going to be oh, sent to your device if you're paying that extra $4.43. If she tries to log on, they're going to ask her for the verification code. If you're not paying that additional money, uh, a number right. is not going to come to your
1: right. phone. Right. And I'm saying that's how, it, that's how you'll get caught
0: Right, right. So, um, I think like you can add on as many people as poss- possible, but you're going to have to pay that okay. 443. And then I don't know, I guess you know, uh, they'll look at the IP address. It doesn't, I mean, your sister probably can use it on multiple devices within her house because they understand like people travel. So, if you travel, and you're in a hotel because I do this a lot. And I'm in a hotel, I'll call or I have the Netflix, you know, yeah. password and I log in to my Netflix and uh, watch television shows that way on the TV. Like I only try to go to hotels that have <laughs> this feature, you know. So, yeah. Any other words about Netflix?
1: Um well, you know, you know us. I, I think once this information um, once this goes into effect, we're gonna figure out <laughs> we're gonna figure out how to crack the code. You know how we do.
0: Uh, uh we'll see. I think they're gonna we'll make see. this one pretty tough.
1: Yeah. Let us move on.
0: Okay, while figuring out your next move with Netflix, uh, we revisited the tragic situation of 13-year-old Karan Blake, who was shot and killed by Jason Lewis for allegedly trying to break into cars. So, yes, this was a pretty sad situation. We discussed this about, what, two two or three weeks ago?
1: Right, right. And so we have this updated information now Um It appears that Mr. Lewis, the shooter here, has been arrested and is gonna be charged with second degree murder. And some additional information came out um, that they were able to get from uh, surveillance videos. Um, And it turns out um, that the shooter, Fired the first shot at the getaway vehicle, and um, and then he had fired t- he fired two additional shots that hit Karan Blake. And we found out also from the video that basically what made this even sadder for me is that um, he begs basically begged for his life, and he said, you know, please, no, don't. Um, I'm only twelve. I'm just a kid. Please don't shoot me, and you know, unfortunately, um, he lost his life. So you know, now Mr. Mr. Lewis turned himself into the police, and he's going to have to um, to face these charges. And you know, again, as I said before, I'm from D.C., so this happened in in D.C. in the Brooklyn um, neighborhood, and so this is uh, you know hits pretty close to home for me. Um, and the community, even, uh, you, you know, even now that uh, Mr. Lewis has finally been arrested, they, they're they disappointed that this did not happen sooner. People felt that he should have been arrested. He should have been identified from the beginning. Um, the mayor there, um, you know, withheld his identity because he is a D.C. employee. And so... Um, although it appears that justice is now beginning to happen um since he's been arrested and charged with a uh, 2nd degree murder here, um that is you know, justice is 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 moving slowly from the perspective of the community.
0: yeah, this is a hard one for me. This is a tragic situation. I definitely uh, see that um and i hate that this had to happen yeah um it, it just what do you do like to an individual now Um uh, do you do we put him in jail do we incarcerate him um does his character count for anything um what what what's going to happen with jason lewis um did he make a tragic mistake? Yes. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's tough. Like in, in this uh, situation, for shooting at the car, I think that was definitely wrong. Um, uh, but we, we're going to see. Um, but
1: this confirms my initial thoughts that he should have just, he should have never come out of the house. He should have never um grabbed his gun. Um, I just feel like it it just reminds me of that saying um that if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know what I mean? So, in other words, the gun, picking up a gun is not the answer to every issue and every conflict. Um, he should have just called called the call the police, in my opinion. Um, and sadly, however, Karan Blake could have still ended up dead if he if the police had been called. You know what I'm saying with the way um, we we have uh, we've seen you know excessive force uh, from the police you know from the police these days, especially when it comes to black citizens. So sadly, Karan Blake could have still ended up dead. But I think. We Mr. Lewis wouldn't be facing uh the second degree murder charge had he just sat back and let call the police and let them handle this and let them do their jobs. But
0: see, I understand what you're saying, but like you know, in our discussions early this week about this, I, I said that people some people have di- they have different propensities to act in certain ways. So if somebody heard somebody fiddling outside with what possibly could be their car. Some people have the propensity to get up and say, I know they ain't nothing with my car and they might grab their pistol, get up, go to the door and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then I agree with you. It, it would have been more prudent if he just would have called the law and let them deal with it. Uh, cause they're trained and he isn't. Um, right. So I
1: mean, yeah, that may be your propensity, but guess what you gotta pay that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have consequences for that for your for your decisions and I can understand that some people have that you know propensity, but guess what you're gonna have to pay for that you gotta pay the cost to be the boss,
0: yeah, that's true I'm just saying like how do we punish this gentleman uh, you sometimes the people have a vehicle uh uh homicides or while they're driving drunk and they always don't get sentenced to prison they get sentenced to probation and community service
1: i mean but think about it here there, there is a car that is fleeing the scene so first of all the the threat has been neutralized so why are you shooting at a, I mean it's like are you is this a this is not a video game but, you know what I mean? These
0: are people. I think when you think about it, you think about it in the mindset of somebody that is um calm, cool, and relaxed when they're going outside when a situation like this would jump off. And he I, I don't know if he was or was not, but I'm saying I can it's plausible that he wasn't. Like he was got terrified, um, and and it caused him to make a misjudgment. So no, I'm not, I'm not,
1: I'm not, I'm not. Inside, you don't go outside and, you know, go into the,
0: yeah, but the you, fire or don't
1: go into. You,
0: you the, keep saying, saying that, but I, I I will always ask you, is it plausible for somebody to go outside when they're hearing tinkering, which, which, which uh, with their possible automobile? I know plenty it's of plausible. guys that go it's outside. Plausible.
1: Yeah. plausible, plausible, but. If the if car, if, to me, if the car is fleeing the scene, okay, it's time to go back in the house. It's over. Like, it's over. <laughs> you know what I mean? so And then when a child begs for his life, I mean, and, and I understand, you know, once he shot the, the 13-year-old, um, he did administer CPR, you know, so he did try. But you just took someone's life. I mean, I, I just don't know. I mean, you talk about this. This actually could be a good man who made a bad mistake. And I get that. But by the same token, this could be a good child that made, you know, a bad decision to break into cars at four at o'clock in the morning. morning like, yeah, yeah. he's a child and he's being childish and doing stupid childish things. But that is not, that should not be a death sentence.
0: It shouldn't. But that's why we tell our kids and our young people uh to make uh better choices. We'll see we're going to follow this. We're going to see how this plays out. Uh because this is definitely a uh interesting situation. Okay, so our next plug of the day is uh the brand. What brand are we talking about today and uh, i'm liking polo i have a lot i know y'all gonna go crazy because i'm about to show my drawers on television so here's my polo underwear uh my uh polo undershirt t-shirt if they can see yeah i have uh the socks uh oops wrong side the socks um Jeans oh. the, 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 actually the polo shirt and the polo dress shirt, so this is something I've been wearing oops where the thing this is something I've been wearing for a long time, like since high school, like mm-hmm. since high school I've been uh uh fond of of polo and i know they said a lot about ralph loren like i when he said i, I don't uh no that said,
1: was tommy Hilfiger.
0: oh tommy Hilfiger! i thought they yeah. both. said that tommy oh, Hilfiger said don't he, don't, he don't make his jeans for black, black people yeah, i think yeah. people got really upset when he said that not to jump ship on that but i think he was talking mm-hmm. about what he designs and he makes the cut he doesn't have a black body in mind like it's not like, yeah, I don't want black folks to, to to But that doesn't make it better for me. Okay.
1: Um,
0: I met him a couple of times. Um, I'm not I'm not I am i do not know if he's racist or not, but he was cool. But I think that's what he meant to say. But back to Polo. That's the brand <laughs> that I do like. Um mm-hmm. along with other ones, but um I have plenty of their clothing. Um I don't have their cologne though, for some reason. Uh, that doesn't move me as much, um, but yes. So you have it. Polo is the brand for the week. And let us move on. Okay. So we have a special guest this week um, that, to tell us about the life, uh, or let's say the field or industry of like uh, lobbying, something that's uh very uh piques my interest, um, and I think a lot of people need to know uh, what's going on out in the world, what do lobbies do actually, because uh, we hear a lot about them, um, but everybody is not sure about them. So we are bringing in the Senior Vice President, Head of Government Affairs, uh, American FinTech Council, Ms. Jerron S. Levi. Welcome aboard.
1: Welcome. Hello.
2: Well, good afternoon, (laughs) my snapper pundit.
1: (laughs) Can I say, in the interest of full disclosure, that Jerron and I went to Howard Law together H.U. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> You're supposed to say, you know. Let's do that. Here. H.U. You know. Hello, Vice in
2: here. I missed that cue. <laughs> I missed that cue.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We'll forgive you this time. But yeah, so yeah, and Jerellen has a, a, a great deal of experience in um, the field of lobbying. Um, And she'll be able to share that experience with her, I believe over 25 years of experience um, on Capitol Hill, as well as with uh, the Maryland State Legislature. So um, she, I'm sure, has uh, plenty of information that she can share with us. So.
0: so let's just start with a little bit of your background. Tell us who you are, You know where would you get your education, where you're from, blah, blah, blah. All of that good stuff.
2: Whew. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, uh, originally from Chicago, went to high school in Los Angeles, Berkeley undergrad. Kim and I met up at Howard Law School. Um, I worked for a congressman and a U.S. senator and then got into lobbying. Uh, lobbied for 15 years for labor, labor unions, uh, served a stint in the Maryland General Assembly uh, as a state delegate, um, and then did some banking, housing, lobbying for housing advocates, banking advocates. And now I'm on the industry side, lobbying on behalf or representing financial technology Companies and a lot, of, a lot of novel technology, financial technologies.
0: Okay, so we can start off with like uh, two simple questions. Like, one, what is a lobbyist, and what does a lobbyist do?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, a lobbyist really, really is just the representative paid to petition the government. Uh, on behalf of a particular industry, a concern, an interest. I mean, it could be teachers, it could be nurses, world companies, big tech, small tech, uh, defense companies, just all kinds of industries, uh, institutions, organizations, and companies have lobbyists or these paid representatives. Um, They're usually registered with an ethics office at the state or federal level. So it's generally publicly disclosed who's representing whom, petitioning the government. Um, You know, in terms of what we do on any given day, I might be meeting with a congressman or a senator, you know, about a bill pending in their committee or something like that, you know, amend it to look this way, uh, change it to do this flat out oppose it, support it uh, because, you know, it affects the interests that I'm representing. And, you know, we also, and it may not just be Congress, it could be a regulator, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, or or others who are interpreting the law. So we might write comment letters or uh, also meet with them and urge them to take a particular uh, direction on a rule. So, you know, and then we assemble all kind of pressure to bear on that decision to back it up. We ask, and then, you know, assemble various campaigns. Sometimes they call it astroturf lobbying, generating calls, letters, and you know, commissioning cool. a poll, research, you name it, um, putting together coalitions. So, you know, it's cool. a f- some set of uh, things that we do to try to influence policy making in our nation's capitals.
1: So basically just a, a paid influencer.
2: <laughs> basically, I mean, pretty much, you know, yeah. a representative like representatives who do all kinds of things, whether, you know, selling things or whatever, but yeah, paid influencer. Do,
0: do you believe lobbyists are given a bad name? Uh, and if so, why?
2: Well, you know, in DC, I, I've gotten used to, you know, it being referred as the swamp or inside the beltway because, you know, the government in Washington in particular, but also in your state capitals has become so big, so complicated and um, you know, there's so many interests swirling around. Um, you know, both at the federal and state level, there's a perception that our system of policy making is disconnected from real people and real interests and real communities. There is that. There's a sense that there's a disconnect. Um, um, but you know. Yeah. you know, lobbying or petitioning government is as old as government. There's always going to be a set of folks who are seeking things from the government. They make huge, important decisions that affect us. And so, um, you know, that's just a common part of the process. Um, You know, I, I guess, here's the thing. In a representative democracy, you know, you go off and do your job every day, right? You you know, you're a lawyer, you're a teacher, whatever, you're you're immersed in the details of that. You send your representatives to your state or federal capital to really dig in deep on the policy, you know, listen to the testimony, read the government reports, look at the data, and try to come to a decision that is best for your community, Um, and so... Can they do that, um, uh, or uh, are they? You know, does the big money, the, the the political donations, cloud the judgment? Do the lobbyists cloud the judgments? Do the shouts and scream from people who who don't have as much information as you do, or the media? You know, does does that sort of interfere with the ability to make you know sound decisions? Sometimes it's a, it, it's it's hard to know but sometimes it is knowable. Um, I mean, so um, that, that, that's really the question. Are all of these factors uh, having an outsized influence on our government officials, elected officials' ability to make sound decisions on our behalf for the nation, for our community, um, is, is really the question. And it's tough.
1: Quite yeah, right. for, example, for example, a lot of people think that, for example, the gun lobby has too much influence because the majority of Americans think that we should have sensible gun legislation. However, the gun lobby is so influential that it doesn't happen. And, and it's like a, a, a quagmire or a bottleneck or whatever in Congress that holds this sensible gun legislation up and keeps it from happening?
2: Well, you know, I, I will say, you know, I, <laughs> I work for Senator Dianne Feinstein, who passed a, an assault weapons bill. I, I really think it depends on where you live. I mean, there is a Second Amendment. If you're in, you know, rural America, driving a pickup with a fishing pole and a gun strapped to your car, you you have a different perspective on it than someone in a highly populated urban area. There's really a difference of opinion in the country on it. If you go to a red state, they have one view. You go to a blue state, they have another view. But the state, the country does have, has passed, you know, background checks and When I was there, you know, there was an assault weapons ban in place for 10 years. It's a complicated issue. There's constitutional issues. There's this rural urban dynamic. It's not an easy call, actually. So, you know, um, it just depends on where you sit and what particular type of legislation, what you're looking at. Like, I think there's a lot of agreement on, um, you know, limiting access to guns, for people who have mental illnesses, for example. I've seen Please. red I've seen Republicans and Democrats. But um
1: where's the legislation know. for that? Huh? Where's well, the legislation for that? That that that's the that's the question.
2: Well there's a lot of state by state laws that do it. But
1: there. we need mean. on a federal level.
2: Well there there are a lot of laws that do limit it to some degree. I mean in you know in maryland and and in a lot of states if you have a domestic protective order you may get your gun seized or you know there are a lot of laws on the books in this area right now um but you know there is a push for more and it's it's a complicated question
1: but you would agree that the gun lobby is is He's trying to lobby
0: you now. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I'm just saying, but gun lobby is very it's a, it's a
2: powerful lobby. I mean, yeah. and That's they've got true. a Second Amendment behind them, so right. they are you're going to have people, and you know, yeah. it, it's a red-blue state dynamic. Really, uh, urban rule. It, it's it's yeah. It's yeah. It, I agree. The N R A and uh, those who support gun rights, yeah, it is a strong lobby. Stronger yes. in some parts of the country than others.
1: Okay, so let's turn quickly to your current position as the Senior Vice President and Head of Government Affairs at American FinTech Council. So yes. can you explain to our um, audience what exactly is finan- what What is financial technology? What are some of the things that are common, that our that average uh, Average uh, audience member would uh, would be familiar with that would fall under financial technology and and just give us a simple policy issue or policy position that you um, have a hand in um, lobbying for or against.
2: On that in that particular area, I've I've lobbied a whole range of issues that folks would know right off, but um, in financial technology specifically. I would say I represent a lot of, you know, online lenders. If you've ever applied for a loan online, that is generally facilitated by financial technology. If you go to checkout and say you've checked out with a firm or one of the buy now, pay later type checkout uh, uh, financial technologies that allow you to buy it, get the product now, pay it off over four installments, for example, buy now, pay later. Uh, We also, we represent folks like earned wage access, where you're an hourly worker, you want to get your pay early. There is some technology that is facilitating that kind of early pay. So you don't have to go to a payday lender, you can, um, uh, you know, pay early. Um, And digital banks, banks that are largely have more of an online presence than they do a physical branch uh, in your community and things like that. There are a lot of novel regulatory issues that and legal issues that are built for branched based banking, your traditional banking model. How does that apply to, you know, banks that do business digitally? uh buy now pay later kind of looks to regulators to some degree like credit cards should it be regulated like a credit card or is it you know different so there are some uh novel uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning you know do these algorithms discriminate in terms of how they are providing loans you don't the the uh, the decision is sort of made in a proprietary algorithms. If you break it out, what are the outcomes of those algorithms? And you know, trying to determine whether those algorithms are functioning fairly in the marketplace. So those are some of the issues that we're weighing in on and dealing with, and talking to regulators about and lawmakers about. What kind of rules should the traditional banking rules apply to? all these novel technologies or not. They they need to be adjusted. Mm.
0: Being being in this industry, uh, do you find it difficult? Like you might have personal beliefs, uh, but you're lobbying against your personal beliefs. So it's like coming to work, you have a job to do. Um, And even if you're not so much for what you're lobbying, you still have to go out and be a professional and give your clients uh, what they wish. Do you have any difficulties with that?
2: Well, you know, when I was an elected official and now as a lobbyist, you know, there, are, there are, gray- are areas around policies. You're looking at the government reports. You're looking at the data. You're trying to determine when this actually hits the ground. Like it's intended to function this way, right? But there are going to be unintended consequences. Uh, So the thing that probably vexes me the most, both at my current job and my prior job, is while there are these great intentions, are you actually expanding access to credit and the availability of options uh, to, you know, segments of the market that are underserved? Is that policy actually going to lead to that result? Mm -hmm. So you know, having watched policy for a number of years, really, you know, decades now, you know, having mm-hmm. seen things through cycles, that yeah. that is the thing that vexes me the most. Getting the policy right so that when it hits the ground, it has the most intended impact, expanding access, expanding availability, expanding affordability. And limits that unintended downsize, which is, you know, closing off whole options, segments of the market. That is a real issue going Mm on.
0: Um,
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm obsessed with the smalls in the market, you know, small, small business, small consumers, small mortgages. They really have difficulty getting access to good credit options.
0: Okay. I have two more questions for you. One, in doing like, you know, some research to uh, find out exactly what lobbyists do, I ran across this statement. The wealthy and large corporations are able to utilize lobbying most effectively to amplify their message and advance their agendas disproportionately compared to popular opinion and policy objectives. Uh, Does money rule um, in your
2: well, money is the mother's milk of politics. I, I would say, but, but um, I, I I don't. You know, I, I listen. I spent 15 years in the labor movement. Labor represents, you know, all manner of blue collar workers and some white co- and some white collar workers as well. They also have very large political action committees, a lot of organization, a big voice at the table. A significant role in the governance and platform, for example, of the Democratic Party. You know, I, I, I'm not sure that wealthy and the large corporations, um, I mean, they they certainly, you know, they can buy a lot of influence. That's no question. Uh, but you know, populist causes, uh, the media, um, and 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 other interests also really do sway government. I mean, you know, if you think about the environmentalist and the climate change agenda and all of the ESG uh, commitments, environmental, social governance commitments they've extracted from large corporations, you know, I mean, they're not really seen as a big money interest, a large corporation, or there are some wealthy activists in that space, but it's, it's- I, I, I would say I'm not so sure that, um, you know, some of the well-organized uh, working people and other progressive causes aren't giving as good as they're getting, you know. They do participate, they do move policy.
0: Mm. Yeah, so the last question is um, uh, I'm a collegiate professor and so students come, they have different, you know, uh, career objectives. Uh, what would you tell a student in undergrad if they were interested in being a lobbyist how should they prepare for it while they're in undergrad? what are some courses they may take what are some internships they should try to go after?
2: Well I, I would just say you know understand understanding history is good you know because we do repeat it. <laughs> Um, you know, and, uh, we repeat a lot of bad mistakes we've already made. Okay. And, you know, and some good things we learn as well, but, you know, I, I would just say have good sound history, economics, those type of, you know, backgrounds are good. I mean, some people take poli sci that usually gives you a good hybrid, really any background, you got all kind of people who are participating. Anything you know well, you can bring to government and lobbying because you know they rely on experts to advise them on any particular policy that affects that sector. Um, you know, almost every sector has a trade association, right? You know, the doctors, the lawyers, you know, all everybody has a trade association and they they pay for lobbyists uh, to influence policy in a given direction. So, you know, whatever you're taking up, eventually you can turn into to this. Uh, But interning with your congressman, your senator, your state rep, any elected official and doing all of that. If there's an interest you're interested in, whether it's environmental or chemical or, you know, having an in- internship with an associate, women, uh, having an intern with an association like that uh, is also helpful. But, you know, I work for a congressman, I work for a senator, for a committee. That is really boots on the ground, great hands-on experience.
1: And how much have you relied on your legal background? Would you um, Would you advise those students to attend law school? Do you think that has played a, a major role in helping you to be successful in this career path?
2: Well, I do. I have used my legal background for, for example, I deal a lot with the Administrative Procedures Act, right? I mean, you can learn it. You don't have to go to law school to learn it. You know, just general constitutional principles. Uh, There's a lot of lawsuits in the governmental arena as well uh, that affect how policy is going to end up. But I don't know. It's a lot of debt to take on to go into an area that depending on which interest you decide to work with or whatever, you're, you may not be making a whole lot of money coming out. Like if you're working for a congressman or a senator or a state rep or whatever, you, you are not going to be making a lot of money, okay? Um, so um, it is a lot of debt to take on for it. But I would say that having a legal background does give you a leg up in terms of understanding the machinations of
1: government. Yeah, but it's just not necessary, but it's very helpful.
2: It is helpful. Yeah. And also the critical thinking, the persuasive writing, yes. the persuasion, and, and, and critical uh, a critical understanding and writing. All of those tools that you learn uh, in law school do come to bear in this work as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, we want to give it up again.
1: Thank you so much. We look, look forward to having you back.
0: Is, definitely.
1: Is. <laughs> it
2: was a pleasure to be with you all. Yeah,
0: we got some great information today. Thanks a lot uh, to Ms. Levi um, for helping us out and trying to figure out the world of lobbying. And again, uh, hopefully you'll come back on the show and we can talk about some other things.
2: All right. Pot liquor.
0: All right. Take
1: care. Take
0: care. Talk to you later. All right. Let us move on. Our last plug I like, of the day like, is like. Like, our like, podcast plug. And this week we're going to give like. it up to the Dominique Foxworth show. Yes. This is a show, a sports show. Uh, Dominic Foxworth used to play for the Denver Broncos, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Baltimore Ravens. You can see him on a plenty of things on ESPN. He is on Get Up on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, with uh, Michael Greenberg and the rest of the crew. He also appears on uh, uh The Right Time, Mina Kimes show. He has his own, and then he's on this uh, show called Debatable. So, yeah, check out uh, Dominic Foxworth. I think he comes on three times a week. You can go to ESPN to find out where he is. Okay. Move
1: on. And let us move on. Get a Can I, get a refill? can I get
0: a refill can I get a refill? Okay, so this is our refill segment where we go over a TV series that we're watching. And we are watching Riches that can be seen on Amazon Prime. We're up to episode three. So we want to talk to you about it.
1: Yes, so just to uh, give a brief summary of what this show is about, for people who are just uh, tuning in to what this is about for the first time, Riches is a series about a wealthy family, Um, basically um, a, a wealthy businessman who owns a hair company called Flare and Glory. He passes away and he leaves the business to... Two of his children that he had with his first wife, and then um, he had a second family who resented that decision, and and spent you know the rest spends the rest of the series trying to wrestle it away from the the two um, children to whom he left it, Simon and Nina. So in episode three, which is called "Black on Both Sides." Um, We found out in episode two that someone was embezzling money from the company. And in this episode, um, Nina is basically trying to uncover how this embezzlement took place. So as the Richards family gears up for the biggest event of the year, which is their um, face of flair, their annual face of flair event, um news of the embezzlement comes as a blow. So um so in this particular episode we found out that um Claudia and Andre are continuing their affair. Claudia is um uh, the mother of the other siblings not you know Nina and Simon's other siblings,
0: Wanda, so Alicia and Gus.
1: Right. So Claudia is having an affair with Andre and it came out at, at this event. So that was very dramatic. Um, also, Divina. what'd you say?
0: Davina, his girlfriend.
1: Right. She blew it up. She yeah. blew it up. But I thought it was interesting that Maureen, the secretary, um, well, it looked like Davina was basically framed. They made it look like she was the one that was embezzling money because she Davina, the, there were some emails that were deleted on Davina's account, but um, yeah, there were some emails that were deleted on uh, Davina's account, but um, you know, and so Maureen, uh, it, it turned out that Maureen was the one who had actually deleted these emails, and um Nina had a basically an IT professional to look into the system to see exactly what was happening. And that's how she found out that Maureen, the secretary of the company, um, was the one who had actually deleted these emails. And so at this big event that they have every year, um, Nina confronted Maureen in the bathroom and asked her, "Okay, what exactly is going on? Why did you delete these emails?" And of course, you know, Maureen is dumbfounded and can't believe that she's being confronted like this, but she had to basically co- confess to Nina that she had she was deleting these emails because from her perspective, she was protecting Stephen, who is the deceased owner, um, the deceased previous owner of Flair and Glory. So she said that she was trying to protect him because he was sick and had cancer and was going to um, Switzerland to see an oncologist. But that was kind of a red herring. That that, that that's not really who you yeah, know. He, he
0: wound up going to Zurich. Um, there's a lot that happened in this uh, episode. Nina's uh, love interest uh, turned out to be a critical person that mm-hmm. um, uh, stayed in the company, so they had a situation. We encourage you to check it out. I think that um, that is something that um, w- w- that's a show we think that y'all will find interesting. Let us move on. So we move on to our next segment, which is our favorite segment. And it's, oh, hell no. We like to do it two times. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. And oh, hell no. This week goes to uh, Stephen Jackson. Sorry about that with the picture. Uh I don't understand what's going on there, but Steven Jackson says some things about Al Sharpton and Benjamin Crump saying basically in a nutshell that they were just trying to capitalize off the death of Tyree Nichols. He did mention something about them being at, uh, you know, with George Floyd. And I, I just think like he discredited them. And I, I think that's bad. Al Sharpton has been an activist for years. Um, He's gotten stabbed. I remember he was stabbed in New York. Um, um, he has he he has brought attention, right? Um, Some like people that have um, th- these followings in um, these organizations that they use. They help to get issues out there. Um, they help to draw media attention to these issues, and they're good at doing it. I don't see. Why are you saying they're capitalizing? And this is what they've been doing their whole entire life. Like, uh, Crump, uh, since Trayvon Martin has been going around and trying to get legislation out to uh, reform uh, police. So I just think sometimes that we we denigrate our own, Um, sometimes like without doing research without asking our elders anything. So I think Steven Jackson gets a big... Oh, hell no. This week.
1: Yeah. And... Let us move on. Give
0: it up, give it up, give it up, give it up, give it up, give
1: it up, give it up, give it up, give it up, yeah. Give it up, give it up, give it
2: up.
0: So this week we're going to give it up to botanist and educator Marie Clark Taylor.
1: Yeah, so we thought it would be apropos since this is Black History Month, we want to highlight um, some of the uh, some of the members of the Black community that are often are, are just not as well known as others. So today we want to talk about Marie Clark Taylor, who was the first woman of color to earn a Ph.D. in botany which she received at Fordham University in 1941. And she later became head of the botany department at Howard University. Her research focused on plant photomorphogenesis, the impact of light on plant growth. So yes, um, little known black history fact about Marie Clark Taylor. And hopefully you're interested and we'll follow up and do a little
0: more research on her. Okay, so with that being said, we're going to go into our close out today. Thank you for riding along with us, and thank you for listening to us. Remember, you can reach us at potlickershow at gmail.com. That's potlickershow, one word, at gmail.com. Please email us. Give us your comments. Also, our website is Potliquorpodcast.podbean.com. Uh Check us out on our website. You'll find out more interesting details about it. So today in our show, our three plugs with Starbucks, Polo, and the Dominic Foxworth show. Um, our wow for the week was Angela Davis. I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. We covered uh, House Republicans vote, voting uh, Ilhan Omar off Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, and we talked about Netflix cracking down on password sharing, and we revisited the tragic story of Karan Blake. We had an excellent interview with uh, Ms. Jerron Levi, a uh, lobbyist, um, and she led us into the world of lobbying. Uh, our refill was riches episode three. Our uh, all hell no went to Steven Jackson for speaking out against Al Sharp and Ben Crump. And we gave it up to Marie Clark Taylor. So as always, you know, we uh, grew up listening to Don Cornelius on Soul Train. And um, we like to end our show the same way he ended Soul Train. And that is...
1: In party,
0: we wish you love, peace, and soul. Okay, thanks again for riding with us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Make sure that you subscribe and like. Uh, we're on several different platforms. You can check us out. Um, we are on uh, Player FM, Boomplay, Podbean, iHeart, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. And tune in radio. Please uh, go to one of those sites, uh, like us, and subscribe us, and email us, um, and let us know how we're doing. Peace.